Recording in progress. Father Lord, we come before you, my God, in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, we hallow your name and we see you as most holy. You're so holy, we wouldn't even be able to approach you except by the blood of Jesus. The Jews were only able to approach you by ceremonial practice. Moses was only able to approach you by a prophetic edict that you gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so now, Father God, through the blood of Jesus, we are able to approach you and we declare you holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And Father God, we bow down before you and whatever crowns we may feel we have, my God, we lay them before you and we say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God with whom all things were created and with whom all things have its being. And Father, we lift you up and we declare you most holy and we declare your son holy, and we declare your spirit holy. We ask for your grace to be upon us here today, Lord. We pray, Father God, in earnest and seriousness, Lord. We break the spirit of folly, my God, and depression and doubt and worry. We break the spirit of fear and anxiety, my God. We break the spirit of deception, my God, and delusion. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray for a holy moment in the spirit, my God. We decree and declare admission through the blood of Jesus. The saved souls here, my God, come before you, my God, and we make a request in the form of a demand based on the word that you gave us, that if we exercised faith in Christ, confessing him with our mouth and believing him with our hearts, that we shall be saved. And in that salvation, my God, we demand your presence be here, my God, as a legal judicial right. We demand your presence be here, my God, to minister to your people, Lord. Teach them your truth and to give them wisdom, honor, and understanding so that they might not be stumbled or deceived or misled or misguided by anything or anyone. Father, we come before you and we can say these things because we know you are a perfect God, perfect in justice, perfect in righteousness, and perfect in love. And so we do not make these demands because we have no respect for you. We make these demands because we have ultimate respect for you and we have complete faith in you standing by your own word. You're not a man that you should lie, nor are you like men that you change your mind fickly. But your word stands. And so we stand on the promise. We decree and declare your presence by the way of the Holy Spirit to sanctify these people, my God, to purify their hearts, to minister into their moment, to give them an understanding and a wisdom that has to do with you, my God, whatever is their next move. Some are mature and pastors and leaders, and they need a next move in their maturity. Some are just returning to you, my God, and they need a next move on their restoration. There are some that are flowing in you, but have not yet entered into their ministry. They need the next move in their ministry movement. But each one of us, my God, is desperate for what you have to say that's gonna help us go forward. Teach us, O Lord, guide us, protect us, and lift us up. Educate us, my God, that we might be wise and not easily misled by the misgivings of the enemy. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. I want to bring some clarity to that prayer because I don't want you praying like that in error. <laughs> okay. We don't make demands of God like as if he has to obey us. 
I was making a declaration and making a statement of faith. And so that it would encourage you to realize that he does stand by his word and you can stand on his word. And he said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Inside that salvation, you have now been declared holy. So God said, if you open the door and if I knock and you open the door, I will come and fellowship with you. So you can demand his fellowship and his presence on account of his word. God keeps his word. It's a statement of faith, not a command made in ego. So I just want to bring clarity to that. I don't want people going around praying in error. God reads the heart as you're praying. So if you're commanding him in ego, like I got you by the short hairs, God, you got to come and do what I want you to do. No, that's not, that's not going to get a good response. Okay. But if you say, God, I know you are a righteous God and you don't do anything outside of what you say you're going to do. And so I'm standing on this word and I demand your, I demand an audience. Okay. Just like you might go into a courtroom, you could respect the judge, but you can also demand an audience. So it has to be prayed with a righteous heart. It has to be prayed with a humble and broken heart. Okay. So I just want to say that I don't want anybody going trying to imitate that prayer and uh, they're not doing it in the right spirit because God is holy and we are his children and you ought to respect your father. Hallelujah. But we have a lot to do here today and, we're going to really go in, and I pray that, we're, you know, we're in a very powerful season. You know, if you know of anybody that needs this, this ministering, please, by all means, invite them. This is a wide-open call. This is, this is a Zoom church service in the morning. And, hey, you can invite anybody. Any, everybody's, anybody, everybody and anybody is welcome to attend. So if you know of anybody that needs to be here, by all means, invite them here. This is a powerful season. All of what God has been doing up to these last group of lessons has been formation. But these next, these, these messages now, I don't know if you've noticed it, these are go forth messages. These are go forth. Some might say, well, I'm just returning to the Lord. I'm not ready to go forth. But you can accompany those who are going forth. The Bible talks about that. It says, if you don't know yet what to do with your one talent, at least you can invest it with the bankers that they might get interest. That meant to lend your talent to someone who is advancing ministry, and then by lending your talent to somebody, you say, well, I don't have a talent. Everybody has a talent. God does not make junk, so everybody has a talent. Hallelujah. And so, uh, if you know anybody that needs to be here, by all means, they, even though they weren't here part, as part of the formation phase, they will be able to move with us if they abide with us based on what formation God has already done with us. We gave you this analogy before when we were talking about the athletes and we were saying that in a team, a sports team, there's usually this cutoff point where they can't bring on, excuse me, one second, thanks. Sorry, I had to cough and I didn't want to do it on the recording. So um, there's a cutoff point where you can bring on new players before the playoffs and there's some people that make trades and they bring on players and that team that player gets to play in the playoffs and if that team wins the championship they get a championship ring or, or whatever it is that they give out just like everybody else nobody says oh you only played half a season or you only played two-thirds of a season no and if you got injured and you, you weren't playing and then you started coming to play again they don't say oh well you were injured half the season you don't deserve it. no you're on the team you get the ring so invite invite bring people to the call and they will 
go forth with us, even though they weren't here during the formation phases, they'll still be able to receive from the anointing and the blessing that God is bringing to us as we're going forth. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's go to the flagship scriptures. We're going to read them again. This is spiritual exercise. You know, when you go to the gym and you do an upper body workout, you don't necessarily change the upper body workout every week, right? You do the same kind of upper body workout two, three times a week, and you do the same kind of lower body workout two, three times a week. And so here we are lifting our spiritual muscles. And so this workout includes these flagship scriptures. And so if you've written them down, amen. If not, you've got your chance to do so. If you've read them on your own, amen. If not, you have a chance to hear it now. John 6, verse 63. The spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Christ's words are life to us. When he speaks to us, he speaks spiritual life into us. We live and die off the words of the mouth of Christ Jesus. Our second flash of scripture is in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, finally, my brothers, rejoice. Have you been rejoicing? Have you been rejoicing or have you been allowing yourself to be troubled? Okay. You should not allow yourself to be troubled. Faith is the belief in that which is unseen, like as if it has already been seen. Faith is belief in something that is going to happen that has not yet happened, but you have faith in it like it already happened. So we ought to rejoice. If you haven't been rejoicing, then you've been in a form of disobedience and you need to repent. The king, the children of God need to rejoice. Imagine you throw a party for your child. And you take the time to spend the money and you make the decorations. And now parties are immersive. You know, back in our time, parties were a cake and some balloons and, and some presents. Now they got theme parties. You know, my son recently had a theme party. He had Marvel stuff all over the table, cloth, Marvel stuff on a, on a big thing, plastic thing. They paint my, my wife uh, uh, put on the wall. You know, Marvel stuff, I think, might have even been in the balloons. I don't remember. And so, they're full immersion. And imagine he walks into this party, and he's not rejoicing. You would be like, I can't believe I spent all this money on this cake, and I spent all this money on all these decorations, and I spent all this money on these gifts, and you're not even, you're not even happy about it. You're not even rejoicing. Well, Jesus Christ came and died and went to heaven to give us life and to give us hope and to rescue us from the spirit of death. We can rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord always. It is no trouble for me to say the same things to you again because it is a safeguard for you. You need to practice the spiritual muscles of rejoicing even in situations where the natural circumstances don't warrant it. I'll say it again. You must exercise the spiritual muscle of rejoicing even when the physical circumstances don't call for it. Because what you're rejoicing in is in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be reading this. This is our flagship scriptures for a season. I don't know for how long, but we're going to keep coming back to it. Have you been rejoicing? Don't just listen to the word and don't do what it says. If you listen to the word and don't do what it says, it's like one who looks in a mirror, okay, and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. No, but become imitators of the word so that you don't become deceived. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, those who only focus on legalistic obedience. But we who worship in the spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, this, these are the people 
who are the true children of God. Now, if anyone had confidence in the flesh, remember that I also have equal, if not superior confidence, because, Paul speaking now, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as far as zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. So which one of you could find fault in me? Not one. And so for whatever you might pride yourself in, I have even more reason to pride myself in. But I have gained this additional wisdom. And so I consider whatever I have gained already, which is better than whatever you have gained. This is Apostle Paul talking. I, for, I consider it worthless in comparison to Christ. Now, Paul was writing to Gentiles, Gentiles who were not Jewish, Gentiles who were not circumcised, Gentiles who did not know the Hebraic law, Gentiles who were not part of the tribe of Benjamin, Gentiles who were never Pharisees, Gentiles who may have persecuted the church but didn't persecute, persecute the church in a zeal for righteousness. They persecuted the church in ignorance. So Paul could clearly say, I don't know what it is you could possibly be confiding, taking confidence in, but whatever you could take confidence in, I have spiritually more reason to take confidence in, yet I can take no confidence in it. That's what he was saying. And I consider everything that I could have had or have had as a loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. For in Jesus Christ, I had to let all those things go. I had to consider them rubbish so that I might better know Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from my obedience to the law, which is perfect and good, but that which is now through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God, and it is by faith, faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to know Christ, and to know him, I got to let go of who I think I know about me, so that I can come in contact with the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm telling you these things, but I haven't completely accomplished them, nor have I been made perfect in what I just quoted to you. But I press on. I take action to take hold of this Christ who has taken hold of me. Listen, I want to repeat myself. I have not completely done it yet, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget what was behind me, and I'm going to strain, strain, strain. I want you to feel that word. Words invoke spirits. You must strain towards what is ahead and press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all who are mature should take such a view. Now, if you don't completely understand that yet, do this. Live up to what you've already obtained. So one of the biggest challenges that will exist ever if you're ever running ministry or pastoring or trying to minister to a group is that everybody in a group is not in exactly the same place. So we're praying that everybody can hear in the spirit relevant to the place that they're in in God. Some of us are straining to go forth at one level, moral obedience. Some of us are straining to go forth in another level, onward to another glory. Some of us are straining in our service because we have a pastoral or evangelical or an office responsibility to a series of other brothers and sisters and are straining towards becoming more like Christ in that area. 
But all of us are straining on some level because Apostle Paul said he was straining and clearly as the founder of the Gentile church, yes, he was the founder. Christ called him and knocked him off a horse and told him that he would be his chosen vessel to the Gentiles. So later, the apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship and saw that Paul had an assignment to the Gentiles much like Peter had an assignment to the Jews. Peter being the lead apostle to the Jews, they were acknowledging Paul as the lead apostle to the Gentiles. So all of us who are Gentiles, who can't trace our lineage back to Abraham, because if you can't trace your lineage back to Abraham, you cannot enter the temple and sit amongst the Israelites. You could stand in the gallery as a friend of God, but you could not be in the synagogue sitting amongst the other Israelites. You had to show your perfect lineage back to Abraham. And so anybody who can't do that in this age is a Gentile, even if they proclaim to be a Jew, because that's the way the law is written. So Judaism is not just by uh, uh, birthright, it is also by ceremonial right. And so we have become Jews by ceremonial right through Jesus Christ, and now we have been reborn by the Spirit, and so now we can claim to be Jews by a true birthright, an even greater birthright than those who were physically born of Abraham. Mm. And so this is the wisdom that Paul was ministering to all of his children, of which we are children of the teachings of Apostle Paul. And as his children, he's saying, as your father, I got to tell you, I have not yet obtained all this stuff. Now, I always like to rebuke my critics because I have critics. And my critics would go, well, we have one father in heaven. So if we have one father in heaven, how come you're calling Paul our father? It is a prophetic idiom. It is a analogy and a metaphor in the spirit. Paul was talking to people less mature than him who he had won for the Lord. And he was explaining to them, to put no confidence in the flesh, I have to acknowledge that I'm still growing. Right? We have a problem with that in church ministry today. We have a lot of leadership that does not act like they're still growing. They kind of act like they're already grown. And if you act like you're already grown, then you evidently are even past Apostle Paul because he said, I am not yet grown, though I am maturing and ever getting more mature, living up to what I've obtained already. And so inside this brokenness and contrition and yielded spirit, we now can be led and changed. Some of us, we're stuck in a personality. We're stuck in a way of being. We're stuck in a character so stuck in it that we're no longer becoming more like Jesus. We're just sort of going around in a circle. But God says, enough going around this mountain. Let us now go forth. Let's go north. You spent enough time going around this mountain. Santo, hallelujah. And so that's our flagship scriptures. Now let's go into the further reading. Let's read in Luke chapter 12, where again, in this no confidence in the flesh movement, right? Where God is edifying us in the spirit, how to advance to the next glory by losing our confidence in the flesh. The parable of the rich ruler, Luke chapter 12, starting at the 13th verse. And it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who has appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Now that parable talks to you about putting no confidence in the flesh. But this rich fool, that's what he called it, the parable of the rich fool, okay? This rich fool put all of his confidence in the flesh. And then when God took his life, he said, now you're not rich at all towards me. You will have all the things that you worked so laboriously for. But that parable makes a point but it doesn't drive home the point the Lord's trying to minister here today. It only makes, it only alludes to it. Let's see another story about another rich man. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. Let's start in the 19th verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip his, the tip of his finger in the water to cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. He said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this is making the point more clearly. He's saying that a miracle is not going to save you. Woe to you, Bethesda. Excuse me. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Okay? Didn't he say these things? For if what had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would be standing to this day. These people will rise up against you in the judgment. For the miraculous signs that you've seen should surely cause you to repent, but you did not do so. Why? Because they don't listen to Moses and the prophets. And neither if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen if someone rises from the dead. So the miracle is not going to save you. The miracle only points back to Moses and the prophets. But you must follow Moses and the prophets in order to be saved.
Now all of us here are saved, so that's like, okay, we're not totally getting the point. Why are you driving at this point? Because there's a miraculous movement about obedience in the consecrations. So you've been trying to change different things in your life, and you've been trying to grow to these different levels, and you've been trying to ascend in God, or you might be just trying to do the good deed. The good deed is to remain in God, so I'm going to remain. I really don't know where I'm going, and I don't really know what I'm called to do, but I want to remain, so I'm doing the good deed. And you're trying to do all these things, but maybe you're trying to do them in the natural, because see, the way it's done in the spiritual is by listening to Moses and the prophets and exercising faith in the teachings of the prophets, like Apostle Peter said. He said in 2 Peter, listen, you do well to pay attention to the teachings of the prophets, like a light shining in a dark place, until a day dawns and a morning star rises in your heart. The miracle that you need is not somebody coming from the dead. The miracle that you need is a greater submission in your consecrations so that God can enable you. So God can enable you <clears throat> to the next level of glory. There's a level of glory. There's a level of glory that God is bringing you to. It says you get transformed from glory to glory. This doesn't come from going to leadership conferences. This does not go, this does not come by getting artfully contrived preaching messages. This comes from prayer, fasting, word, worship, fellowship in the right context, in alignment with God until stand still and know that I'm the Lord. No, you don't need nobody. You don't need someone to be raised from the dead. You don't need someone's legs to be, oh, oh, I wish I lived in biblical times, which you do, by the way, because the Bible covers all the way to the return of Jesus. So you are living in biblical times. But what you really mean is I wish you lived in the time when God was doing all these miracles and healing people's legs and causing people to be able to speak and, 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 and all these different things. And they're still going on today, but they're only going on today where God calls for them to go on today to draw attention to Moses and the prophets. And if you've already been given enough attention drawn to Moses and the prophets, then you no longer need these miracles to get you moving forward. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for miraculous sign, but none will be given them at the sign of Jonah. And so for a lot of our lives and a lot of our situations, we need to get deeper in our consecrations and stand still and wait on the Lord. Stand still and wait on the Lord. Stand still and wait on the Lord. I do not say these things to rebuke you, nor do I say these things to correct you, for you are here, so to some extent you are standing still and waiting on the things of the Lord. But I say these things to remind you because the devil is constantly trying to distract you to take away your focus. Because he knows that as long as you stand still and wait on the Lord and abide in your consecrations, he can't get any traction. And so to get traction, he's got to throw in distraction. He gets traction by throwing in distraction. But as long as you stay plugged in, he can't really get what he wants out of you. So he's going to try to give you a new job or a new place to live, or he's going to try to tantalize you with another ministry or tantalize you with some other movement that seems exciting and robust and vibrant. When really you were already on track and already on path and you were already standing still and you were already waiting on the Lord, but you listen to the distracting messages of the devil. And now you are subject to becoming food. 
when you were supposed to be the fighter. We need to be spiritually aware that we're involved in a spiritual war and so that we are spiritual soldiers fighting spiritual warfare all the time. The fastest way to get killed in a war is to forget that you're in one. And so he's saying, listen, you weren't really paying attention, rich man, because the rich man was a Jew and Lazarus was a Jew. But the rich man paid no attention to God while Lazarus suffered while being a child of God. God in his infinite wisdom and balance when he died took him to the bosom of Abraham. But the rich man, though he was a Jew when he died, went to hell. And this plea that you're giving me, oh, send someone from the dead. No, they should listen to Moses and the prophets. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if I send somebody from the dead. I'll send somebody from the dead and they will listen because the person came from the dead, but they will not remain listening because they don't have the character to do so. And so all the miracle did was turn your head momentarily but you will always return to the character that you have. So this is why it's woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, all the cities that he, he did the miracles in. As he said, if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah be remaining to this day, they will rise up against you in the judgment. He said, well, why did he do the miracles? To draw attention to the teachings of Moses and the prophets. Don't blame him because he gave them a wake-up call. Blame them because they hit the snooze button. And so he says, you need to pay attention to the teachings of Moses and the prophets. A miracle isn't going to change things for you. Because the miracle you need is the morning star rising in your heart at different levels of glory to an ever-increasing glory until the full glory of the return of Christ Jesus. We must keep in mind some very important scriptures, especially in the times in which we live. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm speaking to you now in the prophetic. This is, a this is an apostolic prophetic message to the body of Christ in the 21st century, of which you are a part. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in the first verse. If you have a subtitled Bible, it, the subtitle says everything. Godlessness in the last days. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will become lovers of themselves. Don't we see that increasing more and more and more, even in the church? Lovers of money. Don't we see that more and more in the church? Boastful. Don't we see ego more and more? There's no tarrying, praying, fasting, weeping, face bowed before the Lord. There's a lot of boastful, aggressive, proud talking going on. Saints are cutting each other off and abusively treating one another. He's not talking about the terrible times in the world. The world is always living in terrible times. They've been living in terrible times since Adam fell from grace. He's talking about the church. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the church in the last days. In the church, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
How can an unsaved person be holy? Of course they're going to be unholy. He's talking about the church. Without love, don't we see love waning in the church? Unforgiving, don't we see grace falling apart in the church? Slanderous, don't we see each other attacking each other verbally? Without self-control, don't we see run-amuck behavior in the church now? Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of the godliness, I am a Christian, I'm part of the church, but denying the power of the godliness. They didn't focus on the teaching of the Moses and the prophets, and so they didn't have the morning star rising up in their hearts. And so because of all of these things, they operate in this errant behavior. And Paul says, have nothing to do with them, for these are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are already loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. These people are always learning, but never able to completely acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. by. For some of you who know this term, reprobate mind, this is what he means by rejected. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you focus on the teachings of the Moses and the prophets, and you're there in your consecrations, this does not apply to you. He's talking about these cocky people, these people who think they know or act like they know or feel like they know, but yet none of their behavior shows they really know. They're always gaining knowledge, but never really the relationship. And so even though Janus and Jambres had a place in the kingdom of God, they decided to oppose Moses because where they were was not enough. They now wanted to sit in Moses' see. And so to these men are just like the sons of Korah and that rebellion that went against Moses, they rebel against the truth and try to exalt themselves above it. And so as far as the faith is concerned, these people are rejected. They will not get very far because as for the case of those men, Janus and Jambres, their folly will become clear to everyone who is truly anointed in God. Now you, however, know all about my teaching, this is Paul talking, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience and love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, listen to this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's a powerful word. That's a powerful word about the word and the conditions of which we live. But let's read another scripture, which all of you I'm sure are quite familiar with, but we're going to read it so that it's fresh in your mind. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, For the word of God is living and active, and is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing 
in all creation is hidden from God's sight and everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We must remember that in our life we will be asked to give an account. Did you plead the blood over every aspect of your life? Because whatever aspect of the life that you're living that you didn't plead the blood for, I'm sure you will not succeed in giving a successful account of it. I'll say it again. If there's any aspect of your life that you're not pleading the blood over, the blood of Jesus to cover you, with any aspect of your life that you're not pleading the blood over, you will not successfully be able to give an account. When you face the Lord, you're going to hear meeny, meeny, tickle parson. Google it. Meeny, meeny, tickle parson. It means your reign is over. Your time is up. You've been weighed and found left wanting. Mm. God is a perfect judge. The only way out is the blood of Jesus. Are you completely covered? You know, I was going to close there. And um, as God was giving me the revelation of this message. And he hit me with another scripture. And I'm like, I really don't know how it fits. But I, he did show me how it fits. Proverbs chapter 1. Read Proverbs 1. And, 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 and you know, we kind of skip over some of the simple stuff. Sometimes we need to re-go over the simple stuff at every level of glory just to refresh our mind. So in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, let me start in the first verse, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs, parables, and the sayings and riddles of the wise. This last next verse is a mouthful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Notice that he says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing what to do. That's what it means. Knowledge, gnosis, means experiential knowledge. The fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about intrepid fear because everybody goes, oh, what kind of father wants you to fear him? What kind of father, what kind of God created you and didn't want you to walk around being afraid of him? We're not talking about intrepid fear as that of what a sinner would have, like what Adam felt. Adam feared the Lord in the garden. But he fellowship with him in the cool of the day. When Adam became a sinner, he feared the Lord in the garden and went hiding behind a tree. You see the difference? One is a referential honoring fear, and the other is an intrepid fear because you were in disobedience, and now you know you're going to have to pay a penalty and give an account. We once feared the Lord in the fallen way, and this is why we gave our life to the Lord so that we revere the Lord in the righteous way. So the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if you don't have any reverence for God, and I don't, you know, reverence, unfortunately, Christian words get used, and they get so used that they get abused, and they lose their meaning. If you don't have a respectful fear of your father, and who, who was raised by any father of authority doesn't have a degree of fear of their father, right? 
you don't have intrepid fear. Hopefully you didn't grow up that way. If you did, I pray that God gives you a better revelation of fatherhood. But if you had a loving, disciplining father, you had a certain reverence for him, certain things you wouldn't do in his face, certain things you wouldn't do in his company because you just knew it's disgraceful and it's dishonorable. And so I fear to do these things. Hmm. If you don't have fear of the Lord, you will be a fool. That's what this is saying. Now you might say, well, I fear the Lord. I'm good. At every level of glory, God is exposing some aspect of our foolishness. Because if we didn't have some aspect of our foolishness, then we wouldn't go from glory to glory to an ever-increasing glory. We'd just go to the ever-increasing glory, period. But no, we're going from glory to glory because at every level, no matter how long you're in God, okay, how long you're in God till Jesus comes back, there's some foolishness with you. And there's some area in which you're not reverent. And that area, God is patient with you as he sanctifies you into that new glory. And so at each level of glory, there's a greater brokenness and a greater contrition and a greater yielding. There's never any place for ego, pompousness, pride, boastfulness, arrogance. There's really no place for that in your life. All of those things are doomed to destruction with your sinful nature. But you, however, you, the one whom Christ has called, that you in you, that's you, that you don't even completely see because you can't completely see it because the vision of it is blurred by your sinful nature's very presence. So that we don't know exactly what we'll be, but we know we will be with him. We'll be transformed into his likeness. He was talking about literal and he was also talking about spiritual. The truth about you is hidden in Jesus. And to some extent, it's still hidden from you until you reach the full glory, which is Christ Jesus and the fullness of that glory. And then we will all be able to rejoice together in the spirit under the understanding of the full, infinite, powerful glory of Christ Jesus. I pray, Father God, that God continue to move in each and every one of your lives that you continue to flow in the truth and the righteousness, which is Christ Jesus, and that you're able to stand at every great test of your faith. I pray these things that God continue to lift you up and to continue to build you up in the spirit of Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus over all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. 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 Praise God, saints. Have a great morning. You all too. You all too.